All right, well, as I mentioned before, what's in your bulletin there is not what we're, what we're working with this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 19. So let's just be real for a minute. This came as a surprise. Uh, my wife and my sons were in Atlanta visiting uh, some family, and yesterday morning got a phone call that hey, I'm sick, I'm not going to be able to preach, you're up. And I had to drive all the way back from Atlanta, right? We get home, it's a little after 4 o'clock, and kids need to be fed, and we have to unpack, and there's bedtimes, and, and all this kind of stuff. And needless to say, I felt a little overwhelmed. And it's just being honest, Right? This is like stuff they tell you you're not supposed to talk about when you preach. I don't care. We're, we're going to be real today, okay? Behind the scenes. I was overwhelmed, and I was already overwhelmed just from sort of the week that I had. I mean, it was just, it was starting to weigh down on me and crippling me. I was like, I have no, no idea what I'm going to do. But God did, and you know what I was most overwhelmed about, y'all? I wasn't going to be prepared. I wasn't going to have everything that I needed to do the thing that I thought I was here to do this morning. You know what I was worried about? I wasn't going to get any glory. That's what I was worried about. If nobody's here, nobody gets it, it's not good, it's not polished, whatever, it's not worth doing, is it? But it is worth doing because this is the Lord's day and we're here for his glory. That's the stage. And you're the performers, right? Being overwhelmed is real. You know, this was situational. But everybody goes through this, right? You, you, you can become overwhelmed with sort of strained relationships, you become overwhelmed with the demands of your job or employer time constraints, death of a loved one. All these things are real things that we all deal with. And sometimes we don't deal with them very well. And we get weighed down. We get buried under the weight of it all. And for someone who doesn't know Jesus, I, I'm not sure there's much you can do except just wait it out and wait for it to go away. Problem is it doesn't go away. We don't live in that kind of world. We live in a broken, fallen world where things don't always go our way. For the Christian who is grounded in the Word of God, there is hope. But we tend to underutilize it. We underutilize time alone with God and His Word and in prayer, and so we choose to stay overwhelmed. The big idea for the the message this morning, the thing that I really want to make sure that, that you get when you leave here, is the reason that many of us feel perpetually overwhelmed with our circumstances is because we are perpetually underwhelmed by God. We're just not impressed. When you set your gaze on who God is and how glorious He is, it's easier to see yourself and your circumstances for what they really are. 
If you're feeling overwhelmed, you might be underwhelmed by God. So meditate on his glory. Meditate on his glory. Let's read together Psalm 19. Now hear the words of the one true and living God. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of God. This psalm begins with the glory of God. And you see where it leads? It leads to a greater, a greater love of the Lord, meditating on his glory. Kind of as an aside, talking about glory and all, all glory be to God and to God alone, I'm, I'm sure many of you are familiar. How many of you are familiar that an event in history took place called the Protestant Reformation? Right? Why did that have to happen? What was the big deal? So just a, a rift, you know, a, a difference over preferences. That happened and had to happen because the gospel was at stake. You know, what, what does a man require for salvation? That question was on the table and never should have been. There were uh, those in the church who uh, sold indulgences. Did you hear about that? Have you heard this? where you, you can have your sin as long as you buy it from the church. A, a treasury of saints where, you know, the, the, the saints that had died, 
They were so good, they were so holy in and of themselves, they'd done so many good works that you could actually kind of use that as, and, and draw from their account, right? Draw from their treasury to cover your own sins. Where does that come from? Nobody can cover sins, but who? Jesus Christ. The gospel was at stake during this time. We needed reformation in the church. I know you've seen an old wagon wheel before, right? It's got all the spokes sticking out of it, and they're all connected to what in the center? It's okay, you can talk. A hub, okay? So they're all connected to the hub at the center. They all work together so that the wheel can turn and move in in whatever direction. Now imagine the following being sort of the spokes of the Reformation, these are what are commonly called the five battle cries of the Reformation or the five solas of the Reformation. We're not going to spend too much time on this, but I do want to kind of give you a, a cursory view of it or a refresher, if you will. So one of them was sola scriptura. Scripture alone. Solus Christus. Christ alone. I'll elaborate in just a second. Sola gratia. Grace alone. Sola fide, faith alone. So sola scriptura, Latin for scripture alone. It was important during that time what the church needed is to recognize that scripture alone is our only final authority. If scripture were subject to any other authority, that thing would be the authority and not scripture. You see? Before the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church had set themselves up as like an added layer of authority. Yeah, this was an authority, but so was the church. And you couldn't have this without the church, you see? Scripture alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Christ's life and work alone is all that is required for our salvation. If we need something in addition to Christ, God would not receive all the glory. You're going to see how that ties in in a minute, right? Talking about God's glory. Sola gratia, grace alone. We're saved by grace alone, which means that it denies any human effort or cooperation because that would take away from the glory of God and salvation. Jonathan Edwards was famous for saying, I love this, it's so true, and it's just so, you know, just so pithy, but the only thing you contributed to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Sola fide. So we're saved by grace alone through faith alone. The object of your faith is not your faith. Okay? It's faith in Christ alone. See how these all, these all tie together? If your faith can save you, then some part of God's glory must be shared with you for making a good decision. You would have to, you'd have reason to boast. But there is no ground for boasting of how we make peace with God. We must receive the free gift of his grace with the hand of faith. Yes, we must receive it with the hand of faith, but that hand is empty. We come empty-handed to receive that gift. So quick wrap-up there. Scripture alone, final authority, Okay. Christ alone is what we need for our salvation. Grace alone is why we receive 
salvation. Faith alone is how, the way through which we receive salvation. Now, those are your spokes of the wheel right there. The fifth sola is the hub, sole deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. These things are the glory of God and salvation. To God alone be the glory, not to man, not to the church, not to the creation, but to God alone in worship and in life and in our mission in the world. To God alone be the glory. Now here's what happens when you find you're underwhelmed with God and his glory when you become overwhelmed with your job or relationships or life changes, those things we talked about order, earlier, when you order your life around God's glory and not your own, this is what you'll find. These are my three points for you this morning. Ordering our lives around God's glory and not our own enlarges our love and passion for God. enlarges our hatred for sin and drives us to honor the image of God in our fellow human beings. That's what it does. That's what it does. When, when we order our lives around God's glory and not our own, it enlarges our love and passion for God, enlarges our hatred for our own sin and sin in the world, and it drives us to honor the image of God and our fellow human beings. And y'all listen, you don't have problems that a greater love for God, a deeper hatred for sin, and a stronger desire to love your neighbor won't fix. You don't have problems that big. That's good news, right? You don't have problems so big that a greater love for God, a deeper hatred for your own sin, and a stronger desire to love your neighbor won't fix. Those fed-up feelings you have and feeling like you're going to crack under the pressure at any minute, we all know that feeling. It comes from being underwhelmed by the glory of God. It really does. It comes from making the mistake of ordering our lives around our own glory instead of God's glory and making things about our preferences rather than God's preferences. Even in the church, even on a morning like this, are my desires being fulfilled? Are we doing this the way I like to do it? But we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship God, right? But we, we live our lives in such that self-serving way, that man-centered way, where we expect the world to worship us, to bow down to our desires and our preferences, and the way that we dress, the way that we talk, the way that we sing, the way that we preach. Shame on us. When we order our lives around God's glory and not our own, one of the things you'll find is it enlarges your love and passion for God on his own terms. Not what you can get from him, but just to be near him, just to be with him, just to know and love him. 
Look at what happens here in Psalm 19. Read verse 1 again here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He begins by meditating on the glory of God, and where does it lead him? He breaks out in song into a poem about how wonderful God is. The rabbit hole just goes deeper, right? Read verses 2 through 6. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Poetry, y'all. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. This guy gets it, right? David's got it. Have you read about David? Were there times he was overwhelmed? <laughs> he meditated on God's glory. He was overwhelmed by God. His love and his passion for God is kindled over how awe-inspiring God is. He has taken by his glory and how powerful he is. And then meditating on God's glory, beginning with God's glory, enlarges our, our hearts towards God, our love and our passion for God. And it's good to seek our own pleasure in God. It's good to seek our own pleasure in God. There are a lot of pleasures we should not seek. But God does not want us to be deprived of pleasure. Does that sound weird to you? God does not want you to be deprived of pleasure, but there are pleasures that he intends for you to enjoy and to enjoy in their fullness and within the bounds that he's created them. It's a really backwards and unhealthy view of Christianity to think of a God that just wants to deny us pleasure at all. That's unhealthy. God gives us more yeses than noes. You realize that? God gives us more yeses than he does noes. In the garden, it was a garden full of yeses. One no. Of every tree you may eat, look at everything that I've given you to enjoy. There's this one exception. And that exception was for your protection. And, and that's how it is. That's how it is raising children, right? Go outside, play, have fun, run around. Don't leave the fence, right? If you go outside the fence, I can't protect you. You will not have as much fun if you leave the bounds that I've created for you to have that fun in. You follow me? God gives us more yeses than he does no. Our problem is sin makes us dwell on what we can't have rather than delighting in what we can have. That's the problem. That should bother us. You know, when you hear that, that, that sin's preventing you from, from being able to appreciate things for what they really are and distorting your view of blessings and, and things like pleasure, that, that should bug you. You should want to kick against that. We should want our pleasure inhibitor, 
removed. We should want whatever is keeping us from enjoying the wonderful things God intends for us to enjoy or whatever distorts them. We should want those things rooted out of us. And it's sin. That's what it is. Being in awe of the glory of God and ordering our lives around his glory instead of our own enlarges our hatred for sin. When we have that kindled passion and love for God, that desire for deeper and more meaningful relationship as we mature as Christians, what you also find is all the stuff that's holding you back, not holding you back from salvation. Jesus paid it all. But there's something that that can get in the way of a relationship, right? Sin can keep you from having that, that deep, that deep longing you have for a relationship with God. So, having, having a clearer view of our sin, meditating on the glory of God, and having a clearer view of our sin helps us to have a, a deeper hatred for it and want to be rid of it and knowing and praying that that God you love can do that for you. And so you ask him. You know, you ask him to take those burdens off of you instead of just trying to juggle them all yourself until you wear yourself out. You know how good I am at that? I'm good at that, okay? So, I, I mean, I'm... I'm preaching this to myself is just, is just timely, right? This is for me too. I'm good at trying to carry it all. Self-sufficiency, never asking for help, not wanting to need. You just, just wear yourself out. Our first inclination ought to be to go to that God we know and love, that we trust and who has proven to us over and over again, if we've known him for any length of time, that he is able. The psalmist gets it. David gets it. He's swept up in the glory of God, in his wisdom and in his law. He's reflecting on the law of God. He's seeing his ways are good, and naturally, he discovers his ways are not good. Doesn't he? You look there, verse 13, he says, keep me away from sin. Don't let me go near it. Why? How, how has he gotten to this place? Because he's recognized his true love, the one that he wants to be with, and he recognizes sin for the snare that it is and that it keeps him from what it is he really wants. More of God. And what he really wants is to be more like the one who made him, which is exactly what he was made for in the first place. He was made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's a big day for you, man. You just read that this morning. That's beautiful. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is a reordering of creation. This kind of relationship with God is not natural to man anymore. It was once. It's not natural to man anymore in, in a fallen world. It is supernatural and it happens by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And here's what's cool. Not only does ordering your life around God's glory and not your own 
enlarge your love and passion for God, as we said, and help you see your sin more and hate it. Third point, it drives us to honor the image of God in our fellow human beings. Because if that's me, held back by sin and unable to fulfill my purpose in life, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then that's you too. That's everyone you know. Everyone you know is overwhelmed by life and underwhelmed by God. That's everyone you know. And it's soul-crushing. That should move us to have compassion on others. Seeing them as broken mirrors of God's glory in the world. Even the most vile person you can think of that you've ever met was made in the image of this glorious God we're talking about and made for his glory. So it makes it so tragic when you see someone living such, such bestial lives. You're knowing, if you're in Christ, that they were meant for so much more. Is that how you look at those people, though? Because it's real easy to just be disappointed, ashamed, and just think they have no hope. You're a liar if you think that, that they have no hope. You had no hope. But it's easy to look at people and criticize them for choosing to live just abhorrent lives. And we can say objectively on the authority of Scripture, that is wrong. You ought not do that. And we can say that because it's not our authority that we're speaking on. It's God's authority. So there's nothing wrong to be able to look at that and say, that's not right. You can't do that. You know, Jesus didn't say, don't judge. He said, judge rightly. Judge rightly. Okay? but we can have compassion on other human beings made in the image of God and feel true compassion. The way, the way Christ felt compassion, remember Jesus wept? He felt compassion because people are messed up. They're broken, damaged, hopeless, apart from him, doomed unless God intervenes. And he has, and we know it. And meditating on the glory of God. How awesome and wonderful and mighty he is. Observing this magical world that we live in, that motivates us to look on those people with compassion who are also made in the image of God and who also didn't deserve, don't deserve grace just like we didn't. See how this affects our mission in life? When we talk about evangelism, when we talk about praying for those friends, when we talk about sharing the gospel, you know what those people have. Do you know what you have that those people don't? You know what makes the difference? Blood. Jesus' blood, the blood of Christ. That's what makes the difference. 
And, you know, that's the kind of talk that runs the fence sitters off in church, too, right? Because we can talk about how Jesus died for sin, we're forgiven, all that kind of stuff. We talk about being washed in the blood of Christ. People kind of like, I don't know, it's starting to sound a little weird. But y'all, we needed it. We needed it. People get uncomfortable when we talk about that, but if they do, it's probably because they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand how much redemption costs. Grace has blood on it, doesn't it, Foster? Grace has blood on it. If you know that Jesus died on the cross so that his blood could atone for your sins and that he rose again from the dead on the third day and conquered death for you, you have everything that that most vile sinner you can think of could ever want. And he needs it. She needs it. So see, ordering our lives around God's glory instead of our own gives us a clear vision of that mission when we talk about mission, what we're supposed to be about, being about our Father's work. Gives our lives purpose instead of just acquiring as much as we can while we're here. It drives us to be more compassionate toward other people because we're all sinners in need of God's grace and mercy. We need to be free from sin so that we can have what we really want, which is more of him. And I'm telling you, meditating on the glory of God stimulates that in us. Meditating on the glory of God. Why do you think there's so many psalms in the Bible? That's a pretty thick section in your Bible, isn't it? It's poetry, man. It's poetry. People living on the same earth you're standing on now finding the magic in it when they behold their creator. This world is magical. It's screaming out the glory of God all the time, and it never stops. Like that sun that comes out like a bridegroom and from his perspective runs its course over and over again without fail. It never stops. We just rarely stop to listen. Y'all, we're standing on a ball of lava spinning a thousand miles per hour. What's keeping us on? Why aren't we falling off? We say, well, gravity, duh. Oh, how's that work? We're not amazed by that. I don't care if there's a scientific explanation. I'm not, not, not saying, uh, you know, that there's, there's not. There, there obviously is. Gravity's a thing. But we're not amazed by that. That doesn't blow our minds. The oceans, which are terrifying, we really don't know a whole lot about them. They're tamed by what? The moon. That's an interesting little tidbit, isn't it? How's that work? 
Oh, well, you know, it's, it's lunar tides. You just throw words at it and make sense of it. Like that orange I talked about earlier. It wasn't here one minute, then it was. Because a tree breathed. Because a tree breathed. And that combined with starlight from the sun created something that we can put into our bodies that we require to be able to live. The world you live in is amazing. It is absolutely magical and it screams of God's glory. So I encourage you to meditate on the glory of God, especially, especially if you're feeling a little anxious trotting into this new year. If you're already feeling a little overwhelmed, it's for you, man. If you're already feeling a little overwhelmed, I mean, we just hadn't, we, the gates just opened up. We hadn't even, the race hadn't even really started yet, and you're already, if you're feeling overwhelmed coming into this new year, I urge you, meditate on the glory of God. Read the Psalms. Observe what they observed. Find what they found. Fall in love with your God. Be in awe of him. Don't don't take anything for granted. I'm not flippantly just telling you to cast your cares on the Lord. You know, that, that sometimes goes in one ear, out the other. As true as it is, as, as good of advice as that is, cast your cares on the Lord. But man, it's, it's, hard. it's like you know you should do that, but you can't get yourself to do it, especially when you feel overwhelmed, life has you worried. I'm telling you, look around you and let God impress you. Let God impress you again. Look into his word and let him re- reveal more of himself to you and let him reveal more of yourself to you. Did I say that right? Let him reveal more of himself to you in his word. Let him reveal more of yourself to you in his word. He's got something for you there. And as you do that, see if you don't want him more than whatever it is you think you need most right now. See if you don't start taking sin more seriously in yourself and being being quicker to forgive it in others. And see if all that doesn't make you feel more like you were intended to be. A mirror to reflect the glory of God. This glorious God we've been talking about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in the beginning, you said, and it was so. You are so high above us 
And as we said when we prayed earlier, it amazes us that, that you allow us to, to talk with you, that you allow us to have relationship with you through your Son. We know, God, before the foundations of the earth, you had a plan. You elected those you intended to save. Lord Jesus, you came and purchased those the Father intended to save. And Holy Spirit, you applied that redemption to us by grace, through faith. God, we thank you that there's nothing in our hand we can bring. We thank you that it doesn't depend on us because if it did, we would fail. And if it did, we would boast. We'd be prideful. We'd look at other people that are broken, that need you, and we would be able to say, get your act together. Do what I did. That's not how it works, though, Lord. So I pray that you would humble us. Give us a humble spirit that understands the gift we have been given, how much it cost, and that we would be motivated by love for you and love for neighbor to extend that offer freely to everyone around us for your glory and for our good. What we ask is good, Lord. What we ask is good. Help us to see it. We pray that you answer this prayer with a resounding yes. Again, for your glory, not for ours. What we ask is good. We ask a good thing, Lord, in Jesus' name.